Hey guys, welcome to Shooting the Shot with yours truly, 15-year MLS veteran and defender for Los Angeles Football Club, Jordan Harvey, and I'm teaming up with co-host, LAFC's very own Executive Vice President, uh, Chief Business Officer, Larry Friedman, and today we are Shooting the Shot with Steve Nash, two-time NBA MVP, Hall of Famer. Um, it doesn't get much better than this. No, this is the first one where for as big a star as Will Ferrell obviously is, as big a star as Carlos Vela actually is, I'm fortunate that I know each of them at least a little bit, so I wasn't awestruck. Today, we go fanboy. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try to hold back on that, obviously. Uh... To Carlos's point, the more normal you act with people, yes. I think the more normal of a response you'll get. So um, hopefully we have a, a good enough relationship that uh, this goes smoothly and I don't fanboy out at some point, but it's inevitable, I think. We'll just have to use the Canadian vernacular, A, take off, poser. Apologize, apologize a lot. Exactly. There we go. Steve, first off, I want to uh, give you a little bit of insight. I know it's a new podcast, but we uh, have been coming out with a bang, and we had Will on the first guest. We just had Carlos, and Larry and I are in a little bit of a competition here. So thankfully, you're on, and I'm like pulling through right now and in the lead. So um, much appreciated, um, Larry. <laughs> I love yeah, it. You got to come on with the next guest now. Yeah, no, Steve, I am personally blown away by this because whether it was Jordan pulling Carlos or me pulling Will Farrell, I knew both of those guys. This is, I am in the presence of a true legend. And uh, don't, I don't, I don't, don't know if I can keep my there. composure. <laughs> no, it's my, my pleasure to meet you and uh, happy to, to take part. Great to meet you, too. And just because I know we're going to be talking a little bit of old and current Vancouver Whitecaps, I'm flipping back to North American Soccer League, Chicago Sting. Way back in the day, we were actually season ticket holders. Is that um, right? Yeah. And I looked up, for sake of conversation, a couple of the people who played back on the Whitecaps in – the 81 season, which was the year my Chicago Sting won the soccer bowl. And <laughs> you might have been old enough, Steve, to be a Whitecaps fan at the time. And they had ex-West ex Ham superstar Alan Taylor, a gentleman by the name of David Harvey, who I'm sure at some point is related to Jordan Harvey, um, the great Bob Leonarduzzi who went on to be involved with the Canadian national team. Yeah. So absolutely. was Carl Valentine on that team? Yes, he was. Legend. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, I, uh, I was, a, I was a caps. I'm, I'm the same age as the caps. So both, both myself and the caps are, are 1974. And, um, you know, obviously I was probably five or six when I got into it a little bit. And, uh, yeah, maybe even earlier, but you know, I don't really remember any of it. But I do remember, I do remember Carl and Bobby just because they stuck around. So 
they were always kind of there through my, you know, my childhood and teenage years and, and, and still there today. So those guys are definitely staples in Vancouver. And I still remember vaguely, I mean, I know the history, but I, rem I still remember vaguely the year that we won the, the soccer bowl. I think it was 79. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, this last season, the Caps had, they had gear out called the Village. Did you see some of that stuff? Do you know the story behind that? Um, I know it was, you know, in paying homage to the 79 uh, winners, yeah. the championship winners. Yeah. And, and I was going to touch on that a little bit with a little bit of a segment that we have. But um, yeah, I mean, what do you think of those jerseys? Well, the, well, I love the old school Caps jerseys with the, with the stripes, the, the, the cross. Those are great. But the village gear is, uh, is an inside joke in Vancouver because I think we beat the Cosmos, New York Cosmos in the final in 79. And uh, it was, I think it was, let's say it was on ABC, like Wide World of Sports, whatever. And the announcer, you know, comes into the broadcast and is like, from a little village on the West Coast of Canada, um, the Vancouver Whitecaps. So, <laughs> um, Vancouver to this day, you know, that, that we, we, we've held on to that, you know, with, uh, our pettiness runs high. We held on to it. We have gear in 2019 uh, reminding everyone that we are not a village. But, uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> awesome, awesome uh, history and uh, memory. And we can laugh at ourselves up there for sure. So it was, uh, it was cool to see that come out. And, and, and nobody really knew, I think, except for us old-timers. You know, Vancouver has been creative with, a lot of stuff from their, I mean, I've only been, been paying attention since the MLS years, but um, they've come, they've come up with some crazy jerseys and I'm just going to get this one, you know, just started out with a bang. Oh, there. And we've, we've done it with, we did it with Will and his movies. So we did, uh, it was a start cut bench and you have to, there's three, there's three options sure. and you have to do it. And, and he, we did with him the elf Ron Burgundy and uh, Ricky Bobby. And he, uh, he cut, um the elf believe it or not <laughs> started started wrong burgundy and, and benched um um ricky bobby which i don't think he'd do well on the bench but with you i wanted to do and it's funny that you brought up the village and the apparel and stuff but i wanted to do the caps jerseys all right and, I, and i'll answer it as well um but between the arbutus brown the <laughs> It's Arbutus Brown, correct? I mean, I, yeah, I can make this stuff up. Um, yeah, I wore it. Um, <laughs> and Arbutus Brown, the uh, the paying homage, the latest one, um, the uh, the latest white white kit, I believe it's with the collar and everything. And yeah. then and then the rain jerseys, where it's the upside down triangles that resemble yeah. rain, and yeah. obviously there's a lot of rain in Vancouver, so. Um, between those three jerseys, and you can give a slight explanation. You don't have to go too deep into it. Um, but what would you start, cut, and bench? I think I'd cut the Arbutus Brown, um, personally. Uh, what's, what's crazy is that has, like, a weird cult following. Like, people yeah. love it. People yeah, I mean, love I, think, I, I think, though, like, if you're a diehard fan, uh, you, you know, you're going to gravitate towards your club doing things that you may never see again. And like, you're going to hold on to that, it, whether it's uh, because you genuinely love it, or you love the, you know, the one-off nature of it, or because it's just your club and you're never going to see it again. Um, so I can see it having a cult following, but I think as far as like mass appeal, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, that one, and that one probably, I don't know, me, 
doesn't mean as much to me. I mean, I second, I would I'd probably do the rain uh, as far as bench. And then I would keep, if, if it's the one you're talking about with the color that has the, uh, yeah. the stripe across with the, like the, let's say it's a white jersey with the blue and then the red trim. That the one we're talking about? Yeah, I mean, they only got to play a couple games with it before we all yeah. went into quarantine, but uh, yeah. yes, yeah, that one. I, I, I love those old striped edition. Um, I'm not, I, should, I should do a, a real deep dive on the jerseys because I don't know if they cha- how much they changed them, like if they were very similar, if there was one that actually had the collar and then, there one, then they, they had one that didn't maybe have the collar. I know the old school ones had the collar. I, I mean, I'm not far off. I, I think the Arbutus Brown has to go. And, um, and the collar, I would probably bench just because yeah. for, for me, I, I'm just – You just, just don't like the a, collar. No, I don't like the collar. I mean, it's and, the a, it's stri- a, and, and the stripe, if you're going to wear it on the field, the stripe is just going to make you look thick, right? So yeah. uh, the, the yeah. raindrops See, I mean, are what it <laughs> – Sentimentally, I, 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 sentimentally the, the stripe is – is is the shit to me yeah <laughs> I, I love i mean when i see that i'm like that is the coolest jersey ever but i could see how if i had to wear it on the field and I, you know the collar it reminds me of those old admiral kits i wonder if it was an admiral yeah kit. Yeah, yeah yeah oh yeah it uh, might have been old old days but uh 70 the 79 team was sponsored by admiral probably what is your what is your favorite sun's kit because um you know i back when ebay was like the thing um not not joking whatsoever i bought a steve nash uh sons kit sons i'm gonna say kit jersey the all black with the with the ball kind of coming across similar to the stripe i don't know if it's on fire or what um but that was my go-to jersey what what is your favorite sons jersey yeah i think that that's that's right up there for sure that i think that was the jersey my rookie year and uh God, I'm the worst at this. Like it all, it all blends into one. But I think that was my rookie year, and I think they brought him back. Um, you know, my rookie year would have been 24 years ago. Uh, so I think they brought him back. And now those are the ones that you get on, like um, that. That I think that's the one, or one of the the main ones that like Mitchell and S brought back. Yeah, that, that edition. That's a cool. I like that one. It's. Yeah, it kind of covers all the bases. I kind of like the old one too, that has like the, it just says Phoenix across it. Yeah, yeah. We 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 probably played some games in that, but that was like a special edition from like way back when they played in the old arena. I think it was called the Coliseum. Um, you know, back in those Suns days, would have been like the Van Arsdales and uh, oh, Paul Westfall yeah. and 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 that Connie Hawkins. That crew. Connie Hawkins for sure, legend. Um, Charlie Scott. Charlie Scott. Well, um, I got to know Charlie Scott and his story uh, recently. Not to, this is super uh, name drop, but like I didn't know a lot about him. We, we we were in the same Hall of Fame class, so here right, I you know humble brag. But uh, he um, like amazing story. The first African American player in North Carolina, I think. Um, you know, and just like an incredible history and past that, you know, because there's been so many great basketball players, sometimes you don't realize, you know, how deep the history runs. And so I got to know more of his story. That was pretty cool. So that Suns teams, those, that era with that, uh, you know, with that just Phoenix across. And I, I wanted, wish I could tell you the font, but it's kind of a cool old school <laughs> font. And uh, yeah, those are, those are, those are definitely the classics. 
Speaking so, of, yeah, I think you're going to go here, but speaking of the, the early days with the Suns, um, those first couple years you were um, on the Suns were the Chicago Bulls, which I'll let Larry take this because he's the Chicago guy. Well, before we, we go there, <laughs> I'm curious about, and first of all, it's been a good 30 years since anybody's dropped a Dick Van Arsdale or a Tom Van Arsdale in a conversation with me. So that's amazing. It's, all it's, by you know, they, they deserve a little respect, you know? Yeah. It's incredible in retrospect um, after the career you had and all of the accolades and records and whatnot to think that in those first two years, you weren't a starter. Mm, yeah. No, I mean, for sure. I mean, I, I, uh, I was a one scholarship offer a kid, you know? Um, so I, I, I had only one scholarship offer at Santa Clara and luckily it all worked out. But, um, you know, I, I was a late bloomer. I came, I didn't really start playing basketball uh, until eighth grade, 13 years old. So it was, uh, it was a bit of a different path for me. I played all the other sports growing up and, when I went to the eighth grade at a new school, all the kind of jocks that were out playing sports that were basketball fanatics playing ball. So I wanted to be out playing something. So I was playing with them and, 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 uh, you know, very timely with, with, uh, you know, the, the latest, um, film, the last dance, it was exactly the same time as Michael Jordan kind of burst onto the scene and the air Jordan ones and commercials with Spike Lee. And so I, it was a super fun, exciting time to, to get pulled into the game and, you know, I took off from there, loved it, obsessed with it, played it every day and, you know, I had to work my way up and was, you know, nowadays it's unheard of, but, you know, I graduated from college when I got drafted, you know, I, I played all four years. So uh, it took me a little while to kind of, you know, catch up to the pack, but uh, eventually got there. So you, you mentioned the Air Jordans and that's where this Jordan thought I was going to go, but everybody's buzzing. And I'm especially buzzing as a guy who lived in Chicago through the era uh, about the last dance. Mm. And your first couple of years in the league were during that very time. And you had the opportunity to play against those teams as well as to come in as a visitor uh, at the United Center and have that experience. So curious if you have any reflections on all of that. Yeah, I mean, first of all, uh, watching the first couple episodes of the film, um, you know, took me right back to being a teenager, uh, you know, like, because although I did get to play against them, you know, much of that, of, of Michael Jordan's era and career, I was a teenager, 13 to, to 22 when I entered the league, you know, was the first part of his career. And, idolized him I mean he was my hero and um it it I mean it was, it was it just takes you right back to the feelings you had as a kid and how different the time was because nowadays you have so much access on your phone you can see every highlight every clip whether it's on Instagram or YouTube of any player any game you ever want to see but back then like you didn't have access like that so you know, players didn't have their own accounts to broadcast from, let alone did, did they do a good job of getting behind the scenes. And Michael was, was although he had big endorsements, um, and, you know, you didn't get a ton of access to Michael. So, and that was normal. We didn't know any better. And so, you know, 
but to take to transport yourself back there with the film and realize like this like I felt like a kid felt so excited I felt like I just I idolized him all over again watching the film at 46 years old um it was it's incredible because obviously it's unprecedented access but that nostalgic feeling of going back and remembering how you feel I think the point I wanted to make was is that MJ was like must-see TV you know Nowadays, like you, every game is broadcasted. Every you know, you can see everything. You can go and see what LeBron's doing today on it, on his social media stuff. You know, back then, like you, that was all you got. Just tune into a game if you wanted to see MJ, and he was just so, so charismatic and beautiful to watch and a killer. And you just knew every time you tuned in, it was going to be you know unforgettable. And so for me, the, the film was incredible. And then getting a chance to play against them was, was bizarre. Like my rookie <laughs> year, I think we put my rookie year, we played the Bulls like twice in my first, like two and a half, three weeks of the season. That's it. That was it for the whole year, but it happened right away. And I remember we played them in Chicago and uh, Chucky Brown was my teammate and he, he gets on the bus with Jordan's shoes. And I was like, like this is my hero. I was like, how are those Jordan shoes? He's like, yeah. I was like, how'd you get like a little kid? How'd you get those? He's like, I asked him for them. I was like, you could do that. And he was like, <laughs> he's like, yeah. He's like, so we played them in Phoenix two weeks later. And uh, I actually posted a picture on Instagram uh, before the last dance of me and Michael having a laugh during that game. I saw and that, the story, yeah. the story goes, um, I got switched off onto him and he kind of took me in the post, did his little fadeaway, scored, went down the other end. Someone got fouled. They're shooting free throws. I'm standing behind the free throw shooter, you know, outside the key there. And he walks up to me and he's like, you were at a slight disadvantage. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and I was laughing. Um, as the picture shows, we were both kind of having a laugh and, uh, and I said, I started, I laughed. And then I said, can I get your shoes after the game? <laughs> and he's like, he's like, he's like, yeah, no problem. So I sent one of the ball kids down and he gave me his shoes. And, but they weren't signed and I wanted them signed. So like um, I was in the parking lot, uh, you know, the player parking area where the opposing team buses, he walks out, I see him. I get him to sign the shoes like a little kid. Um, and I know I had one or I had, at least one teammate, uh, Rex Chapman, he was like, what the f is he doing right now? He's like my vet, my super close with him, but like, you know, almost kind of pissed at me, but unbelievable. Wouldn't change it for the world. Those shoes are like still at my mom and dad's house. And uh, yeah, it was, you know, incredible story to think back to how far, uh, yeah, the, the way life twists and turns and to look back on that now with the, the release of this film is incredible. One other basketball question from me um and you mentioned how beautiful jordan was to watch play the same could be said for you an incredibly fundamentally sound player um elegant in performance one of the greatest free throw shooters ever to play the game and i don't know if the stats are up to date but what I saw was Steph Curry has you by like a tenth of a percent at this point. So that story still remains to be told in full. But what was it like to play with a guy like Shaquille O'Neal, who 
you know, just couldn't make free throws to save his life. Did you try and help him? Not really. I mean, he, uh, on the free throw stuff, you know, everyone had tried to help him, you know, and I would have been happy to help. But, it, you know, I think he'd have seen it and heard it all before. And um, I think in a sense, he just wanted to avoid that whole thing. Uh, you know, and it's also like, I think physiologically and like biomechanics and the size of his hands and like maybe his shoulder mobility. It, was, it wasn't easy for him, I don't think. I think that caused him a lot of problems. But, but playing with Shaq was, uh, you know, was a riot. I mean, he's hilarious. And uh, so many fun days, you know, because he's larger than life. You know, I mean, we know how big he is, but, I mean, he really is larger than life with his personality and, and uh, you know, sense of humor and charisma. And, you know, no, you know, never let the truth get in the way of a good story, I think is one of his mottos. So he, he, he always had our locker room dying laughing and it was an incredible experience to be around him day to day for a year. You talked about how your parents are back home I'm assuming in Vancouver or yeah. British Columbia? Victoria yeah on the island. Victoria okay um, I wanted to talk about I mean you just said that you didn't start playing basketball until eighth grade which I find crazy given kind of your fundamentals in the game that just shows that you worked super hard um, but how much of an influence, and, and I can talk a little bit about it because I've played pickup with you or five-a-side like way back in the day, but like um, how much of your fundamentals and your, your basketball game was shaped by soccer? You know, I've, I've, said, I've said it a lot that I think, um, you know, I probably wouldn't have made the NBA if it wasn't for soccer. I mean, I think all the sports helped me, um, but soccer was the most pivotal. Um, you know, my dad played professional soccer I mean it's called semi-pro I played in the first division in South Africa I played in the conference in the UK um you know grew up inner city London and was and and he went to an inner city school in London where every player on his high school team uh signed with a with pro forms to play with a professional team and he was five three when he graduated and so he just he was just too small and then you know because he graduated like 16 in the UK and by the time he was 18 he was five ten and went on to play semi-pro pro football but you know he kind of missed it in a sense of the way the path went but just you know total football man loves the sport and so I grew up playing and playing all the other sports and but I think just having a dad that loved the nuance of the game the creativity um he he applauded you for being witty or clever um you know having vision and anticipation. And so like if I scored three goals in a soccer game, when we get in the car, he was never like three goals. That's way to go. That's great. Like you would expect a dad. He'd be like, remember that time you, you, you had, you could have scored, you drew the defense and you slid it across to your teammate. He's like, that was brilliant. You know? So those were the types of like reward system that I had, even in the backyard playing with him and my brother, it was about deceiving and, skill and like I said anticipation vision creativity so I think that that like set the stage in every sport you know soccer hockey baseball eventually basketball like to think and be creative and all those things and so that and coupled with just the footwork um, balance coordination timing rhythm you know I think so many of those tools that I had to use because I didn't have the explosiveness or size strength that a lot of my opponents had you know those things are so pivotal for me and I think they were born on the soccer field and 
that wasn't for soccer and that anticipation. And I always say, like, as a little anecdote, you know, in, in soccer, you've always got to have your head on a swivel and be thinking before the ball comes to you. And, and, and so I think that anticipation, that reading, seeing the spaces and angles and having options in your head before you receive the ball – um, and then finding solutions, you know, in football, you can only use your feet and whether you've got to like chip it or bend it or slide it in a gap or drive it or whatever it is, you know, you have to think ahead, but then you also have to find a solution for the situation. And so I think that way of thinking really gave me a big advantage when it came to basketball that, you know, other kids that did just play basketball or maybe didn't have a dad that kind of, you know, valued those type of things you know, maybe they never caught on to that way of thinking in a sense. And it gave me an advantage, whereas most of the other metrics that you would measure a potential NBA player from, you know, I was, I was not on the radar. Uh, so it, 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 I think it was incredibly impressionable, impactful, and important for me to, 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 that's, that I did play soccer so religiously, you know, until I was 13. Yeah, I mean, those are the nuances of the game that, you know, sometimes players don't pick up until later in their career. Or, um, you know, coaches don't necessarily see or stress very often. Um, I know with LAFC, those are the little things that are stressed each and every day. Um, and we have such young players that are impressionable that take that on like a sponge and, uh, you know, have success. But, you know, the fact that your dad's doing that at such a young age, that sets you up for success. And, that's, I mean, that's amazing that you had someone kind of in your corner um, giving you that insight before, you know, at such a young age that I feel like I, I never got that until maybe mm. a higher, higher leagues or sure. uh, a more, more competitive stuff. So, I mean, that's sure. amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Thanks. Yeah, I feel lucky. I mean, if we, if like we were playing, me and my brother were playing against my dad in the backyard and you could play a one-two around him he'd let you play a one, two, you, you look your brother off and try to dribble him, you know, he'd kick you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it was, it was like, uh, you know, it was, a, it was very uh, obvious what was valued in our backyard. Well, I'm sure that helped you, you know, driving down the lane with the seven footers, um, you know, took you back to the soccer field and your dad taking you out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to talk about obviously, uh, you're you're an owner i'm sure everybody knows an owner of the whitecaps and uh an owner of mallorca which mm. is awesome and i've followed you know kind of through you and your social media um the path that they have taken and mm. um you know you got you became an owner when they were in third division and they worked their way up and i want to take you to and 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 get some insight into your head obviously you're going nuts but that playoff game that took them to La Liga, I mean, what is going through your head? You, you, you got in on this team when they're in the third division and they made yeah. their way up and you, you were with them, I mean, relatively short period of time to get them back yeah. into the La Liga, two promotions. Sure. Um, you know, what's going through your head with them yeah. and that game in particular? Well, the game was a dream. I mean, the whole thing's been a dream in, in many respects. Um, we didn't realize – that we were missing a trick here was, uh, was culture and, and character of the players we recruit and, and sign. And so we, we emphasized that from day one, but it became like, it gave us a real reason and, and it gave us an emphasis or a, a demonstrative way to emphasize that, that look, this is the reason we didn't succeed. You can't say we didn't have a good squad 
Um, we just didn't have the character or the culture. And we went through a few coaches and we, I think we had some, some players that perhaps weren't as professional as they needed to be at the time. Very, very quali qualified players for the division, but we went down. So we went down to the third division. And in Spain, the third division is 80 teams. You know, it's kind of like the third, fourth, fifth, sixth divisions all rolled into one. Um, there's 80 teams, four regions, and, you know, we had to try to come right back up because you get down there and things don't go well. It's, I think they, I mean, I can't remember, I think the term they called is like the well. Um, you know, you, you can get stuck down there and it becomes very difficult. And, and we're not a huge club, but we're a, bit, a club that, that should be in and around La Liga. So the next year, you know, we thought, let's solidify. You know, we, we, we've gone down, we're scarred from going down. We found ourselves going back up. Let's solidify it. So we started to try to build character and chemistry and identifying our players and our processes. And, you know, the re we, along the way, we had a lot of luck. You know, we had, we, you know, we, we paid second division players to stay and play in the third division. So that gave us an advantage and we took it. We brought, bought, brought in a coach when we went down to the third division with a lot of experience getting teams up. He was, you know, he's, he's in his mid forties. So he's a relatively young coach, had some really good experiences in the second and third division, played in the Liga. But we, what we thought of him, he it came true and then some. You know, he's been fantastic as far as his character, his relating to the players, the seriousness, the players respect him, the, the training, all the things that I know you can relate to at LAFC that, uh, that keep uh, an energy and you know, a vibe, confidence, but also an expectation every day on the way you behave and train. And here we are getting close to the end of the year. It's like, are we really going to make the playoffs? You know, me and Stu Holden, who's, who's part of our group, a close buddy of mine are like, you know, watching all the games or as many as we can. And, you know, is this like, you know, having these little dreams and aspirations, like, is this really going to happen? Are we going to have a playoff? And so eventually we make the playoff. Uh, we win the first, uh, we played Deportivo La Coruña, I think in the, uh, in the playoff, it's all a blur now. Yeah. And we play, we go to their place, you know, big old, big, massive club. And we, we lose two nil um and one of our guys he just made a big error he he slid in and it was a little wet and i and it just he made a mess of it he didn't mean to but he ended up getting his studs they both went to ground and he missed everything and he's like i think he's his studs went through a guy's face the guy went to the hospital he gets sent off and 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 from a game that we started really well on the road we lose two nothing uh down a man so we go home you know down two goals but as you know like it's it's a lot of pressure to have a two-goal lead on the road because what do you do? Do you go for it and give up a goal or do you sit back and absorb pressure for 90 minutes? So We just had the Lyon game in, in our Champions League where we came back from um, the same deficit. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and, and to, to your point, on the flip side of that, as a team that's down 2-0, you're just like, let's go for yeah. it. Just, right. you know, throw caution to the wind, right. push forward. And usually that's your best defense is, is right. just pushing forward and being a good offense. So, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and as you know, when you push, the tendency for the team holding on is to drop deeper and deeper and deeper. You know, um, it's not like let's throw it back down their throat. You're thinking, you know, you're thinking, hang on here. We can't give up a goal. If we give up a goal. Now the pressure's really on. Right. And so. They sit back. They played really tight. And in the end, we, we scored three golazos, like just three beautiful goals. Uh, it was obviously a really special day. And our keeper, they, they 
he tried to push a little bit at the end. Our keeper made a 50 million euro save uh, at the end. Uh, <laughs> did you show him that bonus? It was magic, man. I mean, you, we, it's, we, it, luck, you have to give luck some credit or, or, or allow it to figure in because it is so difficult. You, as you know, I mean, it, like you never know, like a one bounce goes this way or the other and, and you lose and does that mean that everything you did was wrong you know uh but you have to start all over and so you know luck has to play a big part in all these promotions and even relegations and so um they, but there we were unbelievable feeling um my wife and i were due with our our um our, our youngest about a week or two after the game so we couldn't go um and Stu like had to broadcast he had, you know he had to work so he couldn't go so we were watching it at a, at a pub on Hermosa Pier with a bunch of friends and I mean the energy was just unbelievable <laughs> and we had we had a we had an incredible unforgettable day but now here we are now uh you know uh tied for third from bottom but in the relegation zone on point difference and now who knows you know, now who, who knows? knows if we'll, we'll, we'll play the season out or if we'll be in La Liga next year or who knows what direction they'll go or what's going to happen. So uh, we've had an incredible experience, but uh, we still got to grow a long ways as a club. But to your, to your credit, um, you know, focusing on culture, I think, you know, you, you said luck, but I think in those difficult times when you're down to zero, your back's against the wall, when you have a good culture and you have the right guys you know, within a team that can hold them together and make that push, that makes a world of a difference and gives you that luck. And I know you're a huge uh, proponent of uh, teaching resilience. I've heard you say it a bunch of times on different podcasts. And, um, you know, you have to go through adversity to kind of deal with resilience. But, um, you know, know, through the Whitecaps, Mallorca, and, and what other avenues are you trying to teach that? Because I think it's just amazing and it's difficult to teach. I've heard you explain it a little bit, but I was hoping you could enlighten us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's undertaught, you know, I think it's one of those things that we say, yeah, how do you teach that? But if you think about it, like old school coaches, uh, you know, you were allowed to be a lot more demanding back in the old days. You know, nowadays our generation as parents, we don't allow coaches to mf our kids and it's managing it's managing it is you know it is whereas if i came home and told my dad my high school coach mf'd me he'd say what'd you do you know he'd be he'd be on me he'd be mad at me like you probably deserved it what'd you do you know trust me we're dealing with that right now in quarantine yeah (laughs) (laughs) exactly whereas you know nowadays you can't if you did that you know heavy heavy odds someone's down the school talking to the, the principal and and you know, so I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying that in the old days, that was a big art. The coaching was was being tough on people and allowing them to gain that toughness and resilience and to be able to handle pressure, um, or just weed, or just weeding out some of the guys who can't sure. handle it, right? Sure. And that's and sure. that's like a that's like a ripping a bandaid off sure. way of doing it back in the day. And I right. know you're approaching it a little different. Yeah, yeah. So I think the the way that I I'd like to approach it, and the way I've talk to our group at Mallorca about it is that, you know, uh, given the language barrier though, I, I think it should be taught um, like as, as the grit muscle, you know? So you explain to our eight, nine, 10 year olds what it is. You explain to them that um, the best players in the world, they make it not because of their talent, not because of their physicality or their skill or vision. They make it because they're the most resilient because there's 
especially in football, there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of super talented football players all around the world that never made it, right? And, and the ones that make it are the ones that can persevere day in, day out, and come back the next day and be, be there early and be accountable even after they've taken their lumps or had a bad week or day or year or whatever it is. The ones that hang around, stick around because they're resilient. Um, I read a book about Barcelona and they were saying the number one factor in, in the kids that make it from La Masia, their academy, to the first team is resilience. That's it. It's not, you know, uh, technical ability or athleticism. You know, those things are factors, but the ones that make it all have the resilience to stay with it and to persevere and to outlast the other kids. So I think it's a thing of making, educating these kids, making them aware, like, this is great. You have great technical ability or good little athlete. You know, you have a big impact on our team. But just so you know, the way to make it all the way to the first team is to be resilient. So let's try to work on that as though it's a muscle, right? We work on your heart muscle and your lungs. We work on, you know, your legs and whatever it may be in the gym or, or in training or in conditioning. Well, this is a muscle we want to train too. Okay. You understand? Great. All right. So in a, so next time I come to you and ask you how you're doing with the grip muscle, I want you to, to understand where I'm coming across, what I'm trying to tell you and where we're going. And this is a very rudimentary broad strokes way of teaching it. But, you know, so then two weeks later when the kid starts pointing fingers in a drill or is upset with a referee's decision in, in a scrimmage or, um, you know, throws his hands up when a player doesn't pass him the ball. You know, the coach puts his arm around him after training. He says, how'd you do today? And the kid's like, good. And he's like, how'd you think the grip muscle did today? Good. You know, he's like, what about the drill, you know, where you didn't get the ball to feet and you threw your hands up in the air and were upset at your teammate? Uh, you know, how'd you think you did there? Right. And then now you have a conversation going where the kids identified an example. He's been told what it is. He's been identified as an example. And he said, okay, so in the next time you're in that situation, you're frustrated, you, you know, you're going to let's, let's resolve it in a different way. Let's, let's work harder. Let's encourage our teammates. Let's pull them aside later and be like, when I come short for it, you know, try to get into me, you know, finding different solutions that are more resilient. So I, I do think there it's underappreciated as a as a, as a teaching opportunity, um, and then there's ways that you can manufacture it as well. I mean, you could even say that uh, you know I'm I'm getting older, and so I always think that younger kids like have it on a platter. But in this day and age, these kids just you know they have so much at their fingertips that they just want it instantly, and they don't necessarily go through the proper steps, go through the adversity go to like build the resilience to get it. And so, you know, in this kind of era, it, it's almost more difficult for them to build that. And the fact that you're, you know, you're identifying that as a, a main thing along with, you know, the things that you grew up with and the nuances of different, uh, you know, of the game. Um, I think that's huge. I think it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it, you're right. It's a different era. You know, the kids have so much more access now. They're so much closer. Like we talked about with Jordan. He just seems so far away, you know, when I was a kid. But nowadays, you have so much access, you know, whether it's um, Carlos Vela or whoever it is, like a kid in your academy or in and around like the ODP or something, you know, they can see his Instagram. They probably seen him train at some point or seen enough clips that they almost feel like they know the guy, you know. So when they come around him, it's not, it's not always quite this, this massive leap, right? Whereas, you know, when I came in the league, I was with, I was on um, Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson's uh, show yesterday. And, and we were talking about like the difference when we came in the league, 
you know, it didn't matter how good you were. Like if, if there was a veteran in your position older than you, you had to earn it. You had to take it and they would make you earn it. I remember AC Green was my vet who I loved to death. He, at the end of every practice, he'd take all the balls, kick them all over the arena or practice court, wherever we were, and be like, go get them, real. You know, like nowadays that never happened, right? Like it's just, it's, it's not even a part. And I'm not saying that that's right. It's just a difference in that, like in a way that afforded me something, right? That afforded me like humble, uh, you know, resilience, hardworking, like all those things that I needed to, to raise my game. Uh, I couldn't take any of those for granted because if I, for one second, thought I'd arrived, those vets were going to shit all over me, you know, and they're going to put me right back in my place. And so that environment, I think, makes you tougher, makes you more resilient, makes you, you know, realize every day that you have to earn it in practice. You can't just like float on talent, ability or reputation. Yeah. And that's, that goes along with what you just mentioned is like having someone to compete with in your position. You said your rookie year, you were competing with some veterans I think every single year of my career, I've had to compete with somebody, whether it be a young guy um, now or competing with an older guy when I was first coming on. You have to beat someone out almost sure. to earn that spot and to earn your kind of career going forward. So, Absolutely. yeah, 100%. You know, Steve, you mentioned having a little bit of luck, and that leads to asking about how you came to the number 13. And, yeah. and then ultimately the transition and homage that was number 10 when you played here yeah. with the Lakers. Yeah. Um, well, 13, when I went, I, I wore 11 at Santa Clara. And when I came to the Suns, Wesley Person wore 11. So I had to pick a new number. And uh, my, was, was that 11? Was that soccer related? No, it wasn't. Um, I think Isaiah <laughs> Thomas was my hero. Um, you know, gotcha. Michael was my hero. Isaiah, however you want to phrase it, was who I wanted to emulate, who I wanted to be like, because I was never going to be like Mike. So um, that was a part of it for sure. Um, but I, I had to pick a new number. My best friend in high school was 13 on our high school team. So I wore 13, chose 13 for him. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, it, was, it was as simple as that and stuck with it, obviously, all the way to the Lakers. And I think it's Will or 13 for the Lakers. So Chamberlain, so I had to pick a new number, and so I was, you know, just as a soccer lunatic, uh, you know, number ten, a playmaker, uh, definitely an homage to all those great playmakers that I idolized in soccer. With that move to LA, and then now you kind of settling here, um, is that something you always thought about coming to LA, settling yeah. here, and then obviously now, now an analyst for Champions League and and doing media out here, is that something you always wanted to do? I didn't always want to do media I didn't know that was going to happen and frankly I think I started doing it just because it was such a unique opportunity to do football um and you're you good know, at that, right? uh thanks I you know I don't I, I, I don't know I'm, I'm a work in progress and a rookie at that and, and have enjoyed the opportunity to cover a game that I'm just you know obsessed with and passionate about yeah, but that was never in the plan it was really just a unique opportunity that I didn't want to turn my back on similar to getting involved with Mallorca or the Whitecaps or whatever it may be it's like these opportunities come along that, you know, you maybe didn't plan for or envision, but they're too good to pass up. And that was one of them. But I always did want to live in Southern California. Um, beautiful, speaks for itself, beautiful part of the world, whether it's North County, San Diego, or the South Bay here, or any, so many, I mean, you could go, we could, we could do the, the top 150 spots in California and have no problem. So 
um, always wanted to live here and, you know, just thankful the way it worked out that I got a chance to, to, to play here for a little bit, although it was difficult, got hurt and never was the same. Um, it still was a pleasure to, to play here in my career and also to, to, to call this home and my kids, you know, this is for the most part, all they know. Do you have a couple of dual citizens in the house? My, my daughter, my, my oldest daughter yeah. is, is a dual citizen. So we got her, you know, in, in yeah. the Canadian, she'll be going to UBC. <laughs> smart. She'll have to be smart to get into UBC. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Canada, curious about your uh, membership in the order of Canada. Um, <laughs> learned through some dealings in a past life in the world of baseball and trying to bring baseball back to Montreal. Mm. Um, worked on that project with a couple of gentlemen who were Order of Canada, had the lapel pin, and learned that it is not something that you can ask for. It comes to you. So curious about when that happened for you and how it came about. Have you ever been asked this question, by the way? You know, it's, uh, it's, it's a little awkward. I, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's I, one I, of those secret societies you don't talk um, about. You're absolutely right. I mean, I think what happened is like, someone got in touch with my dad and, um, you know, said that I'd been, you know, whatever nominated or even was, was, was awarded the order of Canada. And can I make the ceremony? Cause you have to make the ceremony to get the award. And I'm embarrassed to say, because I, it is a huge honor and I, and I am, I'm, I'm honored, thrilled, humbled, all those things, but I, I'm not a big awards uh, guy, and so it did take a, 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 few, a few years <laughs> to uh, to be able to go, to go to the ceremony and, and got it experience it. Uh, well, well worth it. It, it, it. As much as anything, to be recognized by your country like that, and also the other inductees, uh, just you know, incredible to be a part of that group. Um, but it's not, you know, it's like. Um, it's a huge throw. It's not the type of thing I love to lead with, you know. Shift from there to, let's call it Canadian pop culture. And I'm just going to throw out a few things and you can pick or choose. Justin Bieber. No, come on, man. I don't know. I just didn't know where you're going with that. No. Um, I'm curious about Hockey Night in Canada, Don Cherry, two of the loudest three-man rock and roll bands in the history of rock and roll, Triumph and Rush, and then Second City, Bob and Doug McKenzie, Take Off, and all that good stuff. Any of that resonate with you, Steve? Nash? Yeah, I mean, definitely uh, Bob and Doug McKenzie is a staple to all Canadian kids. Um, the bands were a little before me, so I was totally aware of them. Um, okay. But, same, like, same here. Yeah, well, I didn't, like, maybe I wasn't was into music at that age but also it, it, i didn't have older brothers and sisters and, and i think i am just a little young for when they were at their peak um but definitely know the they kind of hit that you know how important they were or influential they were um what was the other one you mentioned hockey night in canada hockey night John in canada. cherry man that, so that that was a staple for me growing up like you know similar like we said with jordan like you just didn't get like you got canucks games in Victoria, but you, you know, hockey night in Canada was must see TV. And like, that was, 
just a staple, the whole country watching it. Like you felt like a connection to your country every Saturday night because everyone was watching it and everyone was watching Don Cherry. And, um, you know, that, that is, that's just a part of my childhood, you know, that, like, that is a fabric of it. Um, you know, I don't want to date myself too much, but I think like the way people talk about, um, what is it like Ed Sullivan or sure. Johnny Carson or things like that, but this is just Saturday night and the music, yeah. like, I mean that was well it it's it's similar and I don't think Harvey's old enough but you actually mentioned it a a bit earlier in this discussion uh ABC Wide World of Sport on Saturday afternoon you were a sports kid you watched that show and it didn't matter if it was bowling or a rodeo or Irish curling hurling whatever it is um you watch that show yeah, yeah, it's similar. I mean, back then, like, those those two games on a Saturday night, I think it was two, two games, you know, on East Coast and West Coast or something like that, it just felt so huge, you know, like, and I'm sure the numbers would indicate that because there was so many lack of options in those days. But, uh, yeah, definitely that one, you know, was, was huge in my childhood. And I played hockey from, you know, till I was about 12 or 13 when I started playing basketball, loved it. Um, so hockey night in Canada was big time and I, I idolized Wayne Gretzky and he was at his prime, you know, through that for my whole childhood. And, uh, yeah, that, 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 that one strikes a chord for sure. And how does a Steve Nash end up with an honorary doctor of laws from the university of Victoria? The, the honorary degree. So I, I took the honorary degree from the university of Victoria cause that's where I'm from. But I, it's the weirdest thing. Like I think, and I, this is going to sound rude, but you make enough buckets or assists, you get a, you get offered a bunch of honorary degrees. And I honestly, I'm like, I just said, pretty I'm sure like Shaq has one too. I think. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I just was like, you be. It's just, it's just a funny game. You're like, you know what? I'm only, I'm only doing Victoria because you run around the country. I could have 50 degrees in my uh, briefcase, all of which mean absolutely nothing. <laughs> so, but I did, hope that didn't sound um, arrogant. Did you pick? Did you pick law, did. or did they offer you that? No, they offer, they offer. I mean, I think they could tell. You know, they could tell the how well read I am, how how well how well I write, um, argumentative, persuasive. You know, I, I think, think Larry. I, I think Larry brings it up because he's just jealous that it was handed to you and he had to work for everything. Yeah, I had three years <laughs> of my life. I can't get those back. Yeah, you know, I know. <laughs> never flipped a page, Larry. Sorry to tell you. <laughs> What are you guys doing in your house, given the quarantine and everything? Are you guys going nuts like us, or yeah. are you guys holding up? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard not to open a bottle of wine by 4.35 every night. Um, but uh, we, Go uh, the drink, Harvey. Yeah, we're, well, we're trying I mean, to... you get you get the workout in in the morning, and then, yeah. you know, you deal with the family throughout, with right. the schoolwork and the, you know, trying to get her busy or tired out. And then by the end of it, you're just like, Oh yeah. man, I need a break, right? Well, let me, let me, uh, you know, this, this is not a brag, but we have five kids in the house. So uh, three, we have three um, homeschooling and then two babies. And so, and the twin girls that are 15, so you got two teenage girls, you got a nine-year-old boy who's absolutely bouncing off the walls. And then you have a two and a half-year-old boy bouncing off the walls and a, and a baby girl. And the two youngest ones need to be man-marked. So what is this? We're on to, we're on to week six right now of like, just wall to wall, kids, homeschool, diapers, uh, energy out. So 
I, I have to say, um, 75% of the time, this has been a, uh, you know, and, and let's first say, obviously, it's, it's inappropriate not to look at all the devastation and the danger and, and the precautions we have to take. But on the positive side for our family, you know, getting to spend two or three hours with your teenage daughters every day is something that I wasn't quite sure would happen. You know, every, every, every week they seem to be more and more mature and, and in their own world. And so the fact that we've always had a great relationship, but over these five, six weeks, we spent so much time together has been unbelievable. And then there's 25% where you want to jump out a window if that glass of wine isn't big enough. So we're, uh, <laughs> we're managing and we're making the most of it. And, and uh, we're looking at it as a, as, as, as a positive thing for the most part. Harvey, I want you to take note as a guy who just had his second child that Steve made mention of no longer being able to man mark each of his children. It's zone defense. <laughs> I'm well aware. So just I'm keep well that aware. in mind. And we, and we still are able to do that and still, you know, when this is all said and done, you know, get a table for four. But um, yeah, <laughs> I, I just, for me, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of the, the constant, right? Just trying to figure out ideas to just wear them out a little bit. Yours are little still. Any, right? any words of advice? No, you, you're, you're doing fine. I mean, you had no problem man marking me in caps training. So you, 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 <laughs> yeah. you'd be fine. You know what? You remember, that, do, you remember, do you remember that? That one uh, in BC Place? That training I session I took I remember part a, I remember a few different ones that you that, – that was like some of the highlights of those – like that 2011 season, we didn't have a lot of highlights, but you coming out and training with us um, was one of them. And I just remember, um, you know, you were still playing at the time, uh, basketball. And so we'd play like five aside. And I just remember you defending as if it was like a half court defense. And you were like the point up top, top of the key, and just kind of hands down and like side shuffling. And you'd be like, this is awesome. This is amazing, you know, um, like as if we were playing basketball, but it was great. Um, and everybody, uh, I think the expectations of any owner coming out and training are pretty low. So like you coming out there and like showing your skill. And I saw a little bit, a, a clip of you at BC place and your first touch is getting better and better, but like you coming out there, everybody's like, Oh my God, he can play. He can play. Wow, so nice. yeah. No, we love it. We, we loved it. And I'm sure they still do. And um, everybody appreciates having you around. Um, I, I know that for a fact. And, and, you know, you come and speak to us and, you know, during uh, whether it be playoff runs or whatever, and everybody appreciate it. So we thank yeah, you so well, much. That's nice of you to say. It's, it's, it's super fun. I, unfortunately for the cat, I, I make more LAFC games obviously now than I do Whitecaps games, but uh, you know, it's uh it's tricky with five kids getting up there, but it's so much fun to, to watch all the games at home. And, and, and the league just keeps getting better and better. And the owners are becoming more and more invested. And it's, uh, it's the, the, the level's grown, the comp competitive nature's grown. And uh, it's, it's a pleasure to be in from, uh, for the last 10 years now. Before we get to the, uh, the very last segment, and thank you for taking all the time today. Um, <laughs> Have you been to Bank of California Stadium? Yeah, of course. I've been oh, four or five times. And yes. your, your thoughts on the in-venue experience and the 3252? Yeah, I mean, look, it's been, it's been said uh, rightfully uh, 
a lot. It's it's unbelievable. I mean, to not only to to have that type of building, but atmosphere, uh, supporters section and club. Um, but to nail it from day one is it's. I mean, I don't even I don't even quite understand um, what it took to to do that. It's such a such a big staple for the league now and a model for the league. But um, as a just as a fan to go into that building and and to experience it is just incredible as an entertainment experience, but also incredible as a representation of the game and the league. So bravo to everyone involved, and uh, that's what everyone's aspiring to to be like. You know, on the other side of this, which is hopefully sooner rather than later, um, you know where to find us, and we'd love to host you and the whole fam. Um, Thank you. But it's a bit of a tradition to the extent you can have a tradition uh, on a podcast, video cast that is With the only third on guest the third too. episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, We're making friend, traditions. Exactly. So our good friend Will Farrell was kind enough to sing a couple of bars of Dust in the Wind, which of course he sang in old school at Blue's funeral. Uh, then Jordan and Carlos Vela did a little bit of a duet on Suavamente. <laughs> and in learning a little bit more than I already knew about Steve Nash online, um, there was some video with the Lionel Richie song, All Night Long. And yeah. Harvey learned it on guitar. And if you're willing, maybe one chorus. Yeah, uh, let's give it a shot. It's been a while, but uh, and I, have a, I have a special technique. I have a special technique for the chorus. <clears throat> Here we go. All night long, all night, all night long, all night. All night long. Amazing. Amazing. Shout out to Leandro Barbosa who taught me that little technique. That was how you'd like to sing those uh, reverberations. Hi there. It took you to the next level. It took you to yeah. the next level. Absolutely. Yeah, Beyonce. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for keeping the tradition alive. Um, this is awesome. Thank you for being on here. I really appreciate it. Pleasure, man. I'm, uh, you know, obviously really appreciative of you and your role with the Whitecaps for all those years and uh, how much you meant to us. Great leader, great player, and uh, good luck with LAFC and everything else you get into, like concerts and performing and all the things you're going to do after football as well. And Larry, <laughs> nice to you. meet you. Nice to meet you, Steve. Thanks we'll so see, much. We'll see you at the, see bank. At the bank. There you go. All right. All right. Take care. Thanks, guys. See ya.